All right, gentlemen, you know we always keep up to date with what's hot on Twitter. Uh, so a new meme, uh, Garrett, that's what children call viral things, uh, has been going around where people have been posting what their the uh, their favorite horror movie that came out when they were 10 years old was. Um, so I'm going to ask you that question. Well, that one's actually pretty easy for me. There, the year was 19... The year was 1990. The silver screen was alive with the horror. <laughs> Child's Play 2 came out that year, and there's Tremors came out that year also, and there's a couple really good ones that came out in 1990, um, but I've got to go with Child's Play 2. The best Chucky, crazy, creepy, it, it hit the spot, man. Nice. That is a good one. Lucky you. <laughs> My year was 1991, and I'm not so hot on this year's movies. There might be like one or two here, but overall, this, man, I don't know. Uh, probably the biggest one this year was The Silent of the Lambs. It's also a year of sequels. We got Freddy's Dead, Child's Play 3, Puppet Master 3, Shake, Rattle, and Roll 3. I don't even know what the first two of those are, let alone the third one. Yeah, <laughs> man, Cape Fear, Ernest Scared Stupid, Killer Nerd. Wow. Sometimes they come back. That's like... <laughs> okay, Ernest Scared Stupid does not <laughs> count as a horror movie. I don't care what anybody says. It's a horror movie for babies. What are you talking about? <laughs> Um, Adam's Family, Critters 3, Scanners 2, The Terror Within 2. Like I'm saying, just a ton of sequels. I'm not seeing a lot. Oh, Ghoulies Go to College. That gem. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with Puppet Master 3. Out of all of these, that was the one that I liked the most. Child's Play 3 comes in second. I, I think that movie's better than what people remember. Child's Play 3 is pretty good. I mean, it definitely holds up, you know to time it's not the best in the franchise but it's definitely it definitely is better than a lot of people remember but compared to two ah, fall short that's true probably not as good as shake rattle and roll three though so <laughs> that's true <laughs> so much like 1991 my year is 1996 uh and also the armpits of horror not a whole lot really good came out in 1996. Looking through the list, the ones that I think anyone would even know are The Craft, Frighteners, uh, an episode that we did. Oh, Bordello of Blood. So some real top-notch hits. Yeah, really great <laughs> ones here. Uh, this is this is dark. Oh, From Dust Till Dawn, spoiler, upcoming episode. And my pick, and also the only movie that anyone probably even thinks of anymore from that list, uh, Scream. Scream came out in 1996. I would say that is my favorite horror movie uh, that came out in 1996. Yeah, probably the clear winner there. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good pick. Scream is a, a great film. Was there any reason that they chose 10 years old, John? Did you get any info on... Why that age specifically? No, I didn't see, uh, I didn't do any research into the meme. And I've also seen variations. There was 10, 13, 18. 10 was the one that I most recently saw. Uh, so that's the one that I thought of. But I'm sure they just picked it out of a hat. They're like, 10's a good age. Maybe that's when you really start to get into movies. Like you, like maybe 10 is when you kind of transition a little bit into more adultish movies. That still seems young though. I don't know. I'm going backwards to justify something I don't know anything about right now. <laughs> Man, that sucks for you guys because 1990 had a lot of good movies. Uh, we had Basket Case 2. We had Bride of Reanimator. We had Buried Alive, Child's Play 2. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Exorcist 3. Wow. Flatliners. Uh, we also had Gremlins 2, The New Batch, which is not really a horror movie, but um, a masterpiece of cinema. Mm -hmm. um, I Bought a Vampire Motorcycle was a movie that came out that year. <laughs> um, 
the the it tv show jacob's ladder um let's see man uh misery uh uh night of the living dead tom savini's remake uh we also had nightbreed we had predator 2 psycho 4 i didn't know they made a psycho 4 but everything they made a psycho 4 silent night deadly night 4 slumber party massacre 3 man it's just Trimmers, the list goes on and on. Dude, 1991, 1996, take a seat. Yeah, <laughs> but I will say I think I found a future episode, y'all. You're going to be so happy that I looked at this list of movies that came out in 1996. Uh, I'm putting forward Amityville Dollhouse. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> Direct to video, eighth film in the Amityville horror film series. Uh, it follows a family who finds themselves haunted after discovering a dollhouse replica of the Amityville house. No. I'm wincing in pain right now. Let's just <laughs> let's let's cut that off and I'll start wincing about today's episode. Let's get into this movie House. Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark. Again, joined with Garrett and John. Fellas, how are we doing today? Pretty okay. That's a, that was a resounding pretty okay. I like that. <laughs> um, you know, not too bad, man. Um, watched a movie. Watched a couple other movies, too, that um, I'm excited to tell you guys about. And uh, yeah, let's do this. Well, tell us about them. What'd you watch? So I actually watched a movie that I was going to put on my list, but I didn't do it because I hadn't seen it and I didn't know if uh, you guys would enjoy it or not. But I watched Session 9, which is, um, da- uh, oh man, what's that guy's name? David Caruso from CSI Miami. Is that the guy? The red hair yeah, guy? Yeah, I think so. Okay. It's got David Caruso, a couple other um, actors in it. I wish I could remember their names. I'm doing a terrible job right now. But it's a couple guys that are there to fix up an old mental hospital that, um, you know, they, I guess they bought, I can't remember exactly, but um, man, it's pretty good. It, it's it's a slow burn, but man, it, ra- it ratches it up that like that tension and that like freaky atmosphere. It's a really solid film. But yeah, no, I'd really recommend Session 9. That one actually was pretty solid. Cool. So Session 9 is about a, what, like a haunted mental ward? Is that what uh, you were saying? Well, to give you the the back of the box, like the the bare bones back of the box it's these three guys go to you know kind of like clean up and revitalize this old condemned uh mental asylum and that had torture and medieval like practices and um hauntings and all this other crazy stuff and it's why they're there it's all like the secrets of the uh, asylum come out and so do the secrets of the men that are there so um it's it's pretty intense dude um i don't want to give too much away because it really does kind of like build up into its own thing but I would rec- I don't usually recommend movies, but ses- Session 9 is pretty solid. Okay, I'll put that one on the list. John, what have you been up to? A whole lot of nothing. Yeah, I haven't watched any horror movies since we last recorded because I'm bad at my job. <laughs> uh, and my real job has been eating up all my time. Uh, so I got nothing for us. Okay, that happens sometimes. You can't always watch stuff, right? Life gets in the way. Yeah, stupid life. I decided to watch one on YouTube that was a made-for-TV ABC, I guess like a Sunday night film starring LeVar Burton, Kevin McCarthy, and the dad from That 70s Show and the bad guy from RoboCop, Kurtwood Smith. Uh, it's not good, fellas. I know you, you hear those names, you're like, 
oh, that could be really interesting. It's smack dab in the middle of the 80s. I'm sure it was great. Now, it does have its moments, but overall, it's a television movie. The production values are such. It's kind of like this Halloween party happening, and then the ghouls start coming out of the ground because one of the descendants of a witch read an incantation, and you can pretty much know where it's going to go from there. If you want to watch it, it's in its entirety is on YouTube. Um, however... I think you could find better things to do. Perhaps watch Session 9. I would even say maybe the movie we're going to talk about today is a little bit better, but not by much, and that is 1986's House. John, why did you pick this movie? Please explain. Well, I watched it, and I thought, wow, this is a really enjoyable movie. I should share it with my friends. And then Mark <laughs> decided to shit all over it for no reason. <laughs> That's my side of the story. <laughs> I feel like he thinks he has a reason, but yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I'm not, because I know this is how Mark will paint me, going to say that House is the best movie that ever existed or anything, but I believe it's a very fun horror comedy from the 80s, and it uh, was a very enjoyable watch. Uh, it's 90 minutes long, so it's not like it eats a lot of your time, and most of it is enjoyable. So right before this podcast, John told me that this was his favorite movie of all time. He called it the perfect horror film. <laughs> At the beginning of this movie, as it started, like I think it was like four minutes in, I was like, oh, you know, let me just go ahead and get this out of the way. I hit pause just to see how long this movie was, and it was like an hour and 30 minutes exactly. I was all like, all right, I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do this. Because I just had to know. But because I've, I've seen this movie before, and while I don't think it's complete garbage... I do think this movie suffers from severe pacing issues. There, it's got a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. Unfortunately, those pacing issues just make it really difficult to get to this film. I don't want to say it should be shorter because I feel like it's already at a tight one nine or one thirty. But um, God, one ninety—that'd be terrible. <laughs> um, but um, I just—I don't know. Like, I had a lot of problems with certain aspects of this movie, but I will say this. This movie has some of the best creature costumes I've seen in a long time. Agreed. Okay. Okay. Pump your brakes. It's got one neat looking monster in the closet. Those other creatures that come and try to steal the kid, they don't even move. No like, way. There's no animatronic about their masks. Richard Mall's like makeup with his like Vietnam zombie monster, that stuff is like crazy. And then the like his like monster wife. That is not the, it reminded me, like, she could be related to Chet from Weird Science when he gets turned into that weird little thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, I mean, honestly, even the, the, the creatures in the, um, the chimney that try to take up Robert, oh, God, I can't wait to talk about that. Um, <laughs> they're, they're not super animated, but they are very creepy looking. I think they did a really good job with the, uh, the visual, the, the practical effects in this. So you mentioned his zombie creepy wife in, a, like, a purple tracksuit. Um, that, that for me is completely undercut by the fact that they have an Alvin and the Chipmunks level vocal laid on top of this creature. It just completely ruined it for me and just made it really corny. Where's your son, Roger? You'll never find him. <laughs> He's dead. He's not dead. There's some place in this house. Say your prayers. That's what made it so funny. As we were watching it last night, when they started talking, I was like, Alvin! <laughs> and I was like, that's perfect. Yeah, it definitely did not fit the the char the, the monsters very well. But I mean, once they all talked like that, except for uh, Richard Mull's character, I was like, okay, I get it. This is a choice. Like, I, it didn't bother me as much once, like, everyone had that kind of voice. 
I think this is one of the rare times where Garrett and I almost agree 100%. I agree. There are some weird pacing problems. Every time it flashbacks to Vietnam, I do zone out because it's such a different tone. And I'm like, I wish I could just fast forward past all this. Yeah, I, I agree with your criticisms, Garrett. They're much more reasonable than Mark's find every copy of this movie and burn them uh, take. <laughs> okay, listen. Here's my thing about this movie. I probably watched this movie at around 10 years old at my grandma and grandpa's house. And the only moments of this movie that stuck with me is when Roger went through his medicine mirror in his bathroom, went down a rope and then had to, I don't know, fight a skeleton bat creature that is an ace shot with a shotgun. It like twirls that thing and blasts his rope and he falls into the water. Like Mm -hmm. that was the moment that I was like, this movie is really cool. But then when I revisited it, it was such a letdown, dude. Like Garrett was saying, the the pacing alone of this movie is just sometimes such a chore to get through. I mean, this one also to me, other than maybe the couple of creature effects you guys are talking about, it feels like it should be slotted in the Tuesday time slot on ABC right after Dynasty in Dallas. It feels like a TV movie almost. We still don't know who shot JR. We're still waiting for that to come out. Listeners, if you know, let us know. Well, they, they did say, according like on uh, the trivia, according to Fred Decker, uh, the script was originally inspired by the Twilight Zone movie. And after seeing the film, Decker and his friends, which included Ethan Wiley, Steve Miner, and Shane Black, planned to make their own independent anthology movie and put it on video, but it never came about. So they kind of took a lot of the ideas and put that into this movie. So Yeah, and that makes total sense when you say it like that. It does feel like it could have been a part of an anthology. If you took out all of the Vietnam stuff that just happens way too frequently, this one could have been an hour episode of like a Tales from the Crypt or something. Yeah, I mean... Uh, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of problems with the script in this movie. A, the whole Vietnam thing. I mean, done to death. So I really don't connect with any of that at all. Well, you've got to think it was done in 1986. So it wasn't done to death just yet. The war was what ended 10 years ago at the time of creation. Yeah, for the time it makes sense. But it's just like, like this movie has like every trope in it. Like, you know, like the kid uh the estranged ex-husband you know the estranged ex-wife you know like he's a writer he's also was in vietnam he it's like every like character trope is encompassed in this main character and it i I couldn't relate to a single character in this movie except for maybe harold who i was like yo i get it but also never show up to someone's house at midnight with food period that's just harold is harold might be why i love this movie so much he's like the perfect comic relief character he's hilarious i don't think he's overused and he really doesn't seem like he's trying to be funny he plays it just right the actor uh who apparently as mark told me is norm from cheers yeah i've never seen cheers but there's a fact for you um plays a great does a great job. Mark, why don't you tell us who's in this so we can like get into the plot of this movie? Sure. Let's get the uh, details out of the way. So this one was directed by Steve Miller, and it is a Sean Cunningham production. He's the guy that did the first and ninth Friday the 13th movies. So, John, your favorite. This one also has music from Harry Manfredini. He also did the music for Friday the 13th. So those two alumni are responsible for this. This one has... William Catt as Roger Cobb, George Went as Harold Gordon, Richard Mole as Big Ben, Kay Lenz as Sandy Sinclair, Mary Staven as Tanya, and Michael Ensign as Chet Parker. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty small cast as far as like the major characters go. We don't normally call out who wrote the movie, 
But the stories by Fred Decker, Garrett had mentioned that, uh, very popular on this podcast, Night of the Creeps, Monster Squad, uh, Robocop 3, which I believe is Mark's favorite. Ugh. Uh, so, guy's got quite the filmography. I think another reason this movie makes me think of television so much is because it's chock full of television stars. William Catt is from the television show The Greatest American Hero. I don't know if you remember or have seen that one, John. He puts on a red suit from space and he flies around like Superman. Uh, Richard Mole, you know, he plays Bull from Night Court. And we got George Went, who is, as we said, Norm from Cheers. Uh, of the three shows you mentioned, Mark, Night Court's the only one I believe I've ever watched. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Why that one? <laughs> I don't know. It used to just come on like when I was a kid, I think. Maybe, I think it was at night. Like it was just on reruns. And my mom, I guess, used to watch it. So I had watched it. Funny, funny show. At least it was when I was a kid. Now that I think about it, I bet it does not age well. What, Night Court? Oh, no, it does not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a hard watch. All right, here's what the back of the VHS copy of House has to say. Cast into a sinister otherworld, looking into the void of uncertain death... In the darkness, one man grapples with terrible unseen forces to save his sanity and his only son. House, the nightmare is real. The torture has returned and they have come to destroy Roger Cobb. Okay. Cobb, long overdue for a new horror novel, begins work instead on a different project, a book based on his experiences in Vietnam. In part, the new project is a way of purging himself of the horrors that he himself experienced while there. But what begins as an ambitious fiction experiment soon deteriorates into a seething and terrifying reality. Gripped by graphic nightmares, haunted by strange and threatening phenomena, and rattled by hideous visions, his sanity gives way to a neurotic frenzy, and only by protecting his son is he able to overcome the irrational madness and all-consuming fear of house. Jesus Christ, back of the box, calm down. <laughs> that seems like an aspirational back of the box. Like, that's what this movie was trying to be. If you go in with that, you know, uh, view, I think you're going to have a great time. Do you guys know what this movie was called in Hong Kong? What? House? No, it was called Don't Go Into the Haunted House After Midnight. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think we lost the plot thread on that title. <laughs> it's amazing. I do want to call out that the cover art of house on the vhs was one of the creepiest things as a kid seen in the the uh rental place the the video store that's what they're called you know it's that rotten zombie hand with the the finger on the doorbell mm -hmm. yeah that's a great cover yeah that was awesome and its tagline is ding dong you're dead in big letters on this box. That's great. That is a great tagline. That actually is a really good tagline. That I mean, that with the with the finger ringing the doorbell and that like tagline. I'm sorry, it works. Like that was that was no mistake. Nothing at all to do with the movie, uh, but <laughs> great. Well, actually, the 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 severed hand does come into play. True, there is a severed hand situation. To answer your earlier question, Mark, about if this movie got released to theaters, not only did it get released, it came in second place. It lost to Pretty in Pink. As it should have. Coming in second to Pretty in Pink is not a bad deal, to be honest. No. So this movie was a success, apparently. Uh, so people in the 80s, they knew what was up. All right. All right. Stop greasing this movie down. <laughs> John, so let's, let's get this out of the way. What is exactly... This is a supernatural movie, right? Mm -hmm. This is a haunted house, classic haunted house story. Well, 
That is a good question, Mark. I'm actually a little confused about what are the powers of the house. Uh, I am not confused on if it's supernatural or not. I believe it's supernatural. Though, when I first watched this movie, I wondered if this was all through that guy's head and it was like a PTSD type thing uh, or like a Jacob's Ladder type thing. That's what I thought. I thought it was like I thought it was like Vietnam flashback shit. Yeah. Like, upon second watch, I don't think it's that. But I don't know that it's a haunted house story because, uh, per tradition, I'll spoil the end a little bit. When we find out who the ghost is, it's someone who he knew like 10 years before the events of the movie took place, uh, which opens up a lot of questions I admittedly don't have answers to. That was one of the biggest things that I was like questioning too, because like, you know, as, as you say, John, like you, you, all this, all these events happen, you know, um, to burn through it real quick. Uh, this guy's aunt who lives in this like big ass house. The house is amazing, by the way. Yeah. She kills herself because evidently she's been like fucked with by ghosts and haunted and everyone's all like, oh, I don't know why she'd do this. And then the writer, her nephew moves in and then he's being, and his son went missing at this house years ago too. And he hasn't been back since. Right, which makes it feel, that makes it feel like the house is supernatural because the house ate this kid's son, essentially, and put him in some kind of time freeze. Yes, and then you find out at the end um, that this was all been orchestrated by one of his Vietnam buddies. Um, They're basically going to come get uh, Richard Mole, who's been shot, you know, and he's like crazy into Vietnam. Like, he's like, I'll lead the way, I'll shoot him, you know, he's just having a blast he shouldn't be but he's having a blast anyway he gets shot and then he asks the main character william to kill him before he gets captured and taken prisoner and william can't do it he's like i'm gonna go run and get help and blah 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 and he abandons him and then he gets mr mall's character big ben gets picked up and taken prisoner and then we find out later he's been tortured before we get too far and then we uh, kick ourselves in the butt the actor's name is william the character's name is roger Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got that mixed up. My bad. Um, so Roger doesn't kill uh, Big Ben when he is asked to, and he ends up like letting him get captured. So we find out that Big Ben's character has been orchestrating kidnapping his son and is trying to get revenge on Roger because he wouldn't kill him, and then they tortured him for you know months in uh, Vietnam. And so you find out that it's all like that's the plan. But you're like, wait, did he make the house kidnap the kid? Did he know that? Roger was going to come back to this house. Again, there's so many strands of storyline that just do not tie to anything else. It's really hard to get a good feel on what's going on. So you have to kind of just go along with the ride or else you'll just destroy this movie via nitpick. That's very true. Uh, Because like one of the things I thought about the first time I watched it and then just pushed it deep down out of my brain the second time is how long... I'm asking y'all for for what you think, or how much time has passed from when Roger's son disappeared to when he returns? Like, what's the time frame this movie takes place in? They made it seem like a couple years, right? Two years. That's what I would say. That's what I thought, but the kid's the same age and nobody comments it. So at most, it could have been months. I commented at the end of the movie when he gets the kid back and I was all like, wait a minute. His son goes missing. His marriage breaks apart because his son goes missing. And then he suddenly walks out of the house with his son the same age to his like ex-wife who's like, oh my God, my son. There's no way that dude's not going to jail for kidnapping. <laughs> right. It's so bizarre because early in the movie, they're like, hey, you haven't written a book in a year and you're going to owe the, your advance back on this Vietnam book and you're it's ruined your marriage. So that was the, my number one nitpick. 
the rest of it I could survive except for some also another weird part and this might just be because I didn't live a lot of time in the 80s it's hard to know what's a weird movie thing and what was just normal things people did in the 80s that seem insane now like what one just showing up at people's house that happens all the time in this movie they actually not only just show up they regularly let themselves in this guy's house yeah Roger's got a real home invasion problem happening (laughs) all at all hours of his his life man yeah People just walk in. Oh, yeah. And then his neighbor brings her kid over uh, and is like, hey, person I just met and uh, 10 minutes ago, cops were at your house. Can you watch my kid and also bathe him? Okay, yes. The the scene with Tanya and her son, Robert, that shit baffled me. That blew my fucking mind. I was like, you are a negligent parent. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of, I think showing up at people's houses was a little more common in the fact that like, you know... Uh, we didn't have like the ease of social media or text messaging. You know, you called or if you were in the area, like, oh, we just stopped by. But you never really just went into people's houses. So I think that's very for this movie. But I mean, I remember like going to like being out and like, oh, we're on like, you know, such and such street. Let's go see if Ramsey wants to play. You know, like we'd stop by and, you know, see if so and so wanted to come out. Mm-hmm. But we'd never just walk in and be like, hey, man, we made ourselves a sandwich. What are you up to today? <laughs> Yeah, and it's not just that he's walking in, like, say, at a normal hour. It's fucking midnight, the witching hour, that he's walking in with a six-pack and pizza. It's like, bro, Harold, if you wanted to come over and hang, buddy, the game ended three and a half hours ago. (laughs) Well, you know, solitude's always better with somebody else. Harold is just being a... You know, he's just being a dude. He's just being a, a the guy's like uh, best friend, essentially. Well, Harold did say, I thought I'd bring you a midnight snack. And I was like, now that has never happened and not been insanely fucking weird for anybody. <laughs> you know, um, I was going to I was going to mention this. There is a better 80s kidnapping of a child gone missing story, and it's called Flight of the Navigator. And at least that one has Pee Wee Herman in it and it goes to space. <laughs> hey, Blimbo, I'm going too many Twinkies. <laughs> Paul Rubens, you mean? Show some respect. And it, it does a better job of explaining, hey, look, all the parents are way old, but the kid is still the same age. Let's focus on how weird that would be. Yeah. And in that movie also, they like, like are you sure he wasn't kidnapped? Do you know where he And it's like, they did not just buy the whole like, oh, the uh, he got eaten by the sky. Fair enough. <laughs> this movie's so bizarre and just like how it plays out because... Again, the plot is, I mean, as we've touched on a little bit, you know, he's a writer who hasn't written in a few years. Um, He went to Vietnam. His first book was a horror book. And his fans range from like beatnik hippies to like full on 80s punks to old women who probably knit cat sweaters. I mean, it is it's a diverse crowd. And he's He's about to write a new book uh, for Vietnam, but he ha- he can't get started. Now, I think he's having problems writing it because his son went missing and then his marriage dissolved. And that's kind of playing into like why he can't really get into it. It seems I would agree with that. Yeah. So anyway, like, yeah, as you said, the his uh, publicist or whatever, you know, is like, man, you got to start writing or else you're going to have to give the uh, the advancement back. And then about that time, his aunt. Well, we start out the the the, oh, the movie opens up with a, a grocery boy dropping off some groceries and seeing his uh, the aunt the old woman in the house uh, hanging and she's just swinging, which means either she just did it or the wind's blowing hard. I legit did not know grocery delivery was a service that existed in the eighties. Oh yeah, no, that was that was totally a thing. So that was super cool. I learned something new there, but also <laughs> another case where someone walked into the house and then just started wandering through it. 
Well, he heard a noise, John. He had to go check it out. <laughs> Maybe the house is just attractive to people, like supernaturally. It just brings oh. people inside. I'm glad to see you're getting on the headcanon bandwagon, Mark. This is some good stuff right there. That's that's some good headcanon. Well, we got to repair it, right? It's a piece of shit. So let's keep going and make it a better movie for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Roger's aunt dies, um, and then he goes to the funeral, and his his uncle is like, you know, like ah, she was she was a mean old lady, but she wasn't crazy. I don't know why she killed herself. And so, out of nowhere, he move he goes back to his house, and this is where we find out he's been in Vietnam because he has a flashback, and then he also has a conversation with his wife or his ex wife. Sorry where he's pretending to be at a poker party to act like he's living it up, even though he's doing nothing at all in his house. Have you guys ever done something like that? No, but this did remind me of that Key and Peele skit where they were ordering pizza for all the dolls. Did y'all see that one? (laughs) The guy, he's like talking to his action figures. What do you want on yours? Yeah, Uh, it totally reminded me of that. So I laughed really hard at that scene, but not because it was funny, because it reminded me of something funnier. I just like when the the wife is, uh, Sandy's like, who's there? And he's like, uh, 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 you know, just some guys. And I was like, bro, all that work just to blow it with that. Come on, man. (laughs) Like, put the work in. In the scene, he does the most insane thing that I've ever seen. And I'm not one for, like, movie uh, continuity or goofs or anything. I barely see what's on the screen. But did y'all notice he went and got a banquet microwave dinner put it in the box and all and microwaved it for 30 minutes. Okay, I did notice that, but the but the people I was watching the movie with were like, did he just set that for 30 minutes? And I was like, God, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I was like, dude, you're going to start a fire. Maybe that's why he had to move into his aunt's house. <laughs> <laughs> he burned down his apartment. And you know, when a movie shows you that a, a lonely man has nothing but TV banquet dinners, that he's a sad sap. That's something we identify with immediately. You got a loser on screen, people. <laughs> That was definitely an 80s thing. Like a single dude with TV dinners only. Like that was that was definitely a trope back then. Um, but yeah, I totally forgot. He throws that fucking thing in it for 30 minutes. Oh, man. And he never goes back and gets it. No. Well, this totally lends itself to saying that Roger's a damaged man. Like I'd, maybe none of this crap did happen. Maybe it was all in his head. Well, yeah. I mean, something's definitely not right with him because also in the scene, he calls the FBI. He's like, hey, just checking in. Did you find my son? They're like, no. Also, the CIA called me and told me, to tell you to leave them alone. It's like, dude, this guy's blowing up the CIA. <laughs> he's got a direct line. He got, hey, he's can like, you call Roger, that famous horror writer, and tell him to quit bugging us, please? <laughs> I mean, I appreciate that. That's what's so weird also about this character is like, there's times when they make it seem like he really gives a shit about like his missing son. And then there's other times it just seems like it's the last thing he thinks about. Like his character drive is driven by whims throughout this entire film. Um, but I don't know why he has to go to his aunt's house at this point. Cause it's got a for sale sign. Do, do they say in the movie why he goes to the house? Oh, because he inherited it. I think in the will after she passed, but why did it have a for sale sign on it then? Yeah. I think it was like change of, of, uh, scenery, you know, maybe he could write his book better. Uh, he did say his aunt, uh, raised him. So he's kind of going back to his, uh, childhood, so maybe he thought that would get, you know, through the writer's block. Okay. That's when he was talking to the uh 
real estate guy who shoots a fucking harpoon at him. <laughs> yeah, that, that brings me to a couple things I want to touch on. Firstly is Roger's some sort of celebrity because anywhere he goes around in this town, he's like, oh, you're Roger Cobb. You're the guy that wrote that book. My, oh my, let's get a picture. You know, even the cops who show up later in the movie are starstruck by this guy. And I was trying to rack my brain around like, in the 80s, I don't think I knew what any writer looked like, let alone maybe Stephen King, but that's it. And I don't even, I wouldn't even have been able to tell you if you showed me a picture of King back in the 80s, I'm like, oh, who's that guy? You know? So I found that a little weird. I think you mean, who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, a bit much. I assumed he was at the Stephen King level fame, but that's a good point. I only kind of vaguely know what Stephen King looks like now, let alone the 80s. Which kind of says something about our society that we can't recognize writers as well as like, you know, TV and movie stars. But I mean, but that's, that goes back to my point of he has every, he has a little bit of every trope possible in his character. So it's hard to like grasp onto one thing like, oh, he's this kind of guy or oh, he's this because he doesn't seem like I've been to war. Evidently, he has. He doesn't seem like he's a great writer. Evidently, he is. He doesn't seem like he's that broken up about his marriage. Evidently, he is. He doesn't seem like he misses his kid too much that often, but evidently he does. Again, it's just like every time there's something to like grab onto, they're just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like you got to give me something here. I'll tell you the kind of guy Roger is. Roger's the kind of guy who sees a sweater with a plunging neckline and says, Give me two of those, please. That deep V. That man has the deepest Vs on all his outfits. They go to like his belly button. It's insane. (laughs) I didn't even know they made sweaters like that. It's Zardoz level outfits. (laughs) Those must have been custom. It looked comfy as hell. Don't get me wrong. Well, let's talk about the house itself. Like Garrett was saying, is this beautiful classical Victorian house. Like cherry wood stained uh, staircases. A giant... Um, I didn't even know houses came with these stained glass windows just filtering in light of this beautiful peacock. But then also, it's got all these gross paintings that I guess his aunt painted. Did they say she was a painter? Yes. Yeah. When the cop comes, he's like, my aunt's an artist. And the cop goes, I guess. <laughs> That's sick burn, grandma. I love that moment because I was like, like, I've heard that exact thing about my painting. So (laughs) I was like, I feel you, man. I feel you, grandma or aunt or whatever you were, old lady in general. But um, those paintings were fucking amazing. Did you guys look at all them in the background? Yeah, they were super cool. They're like Bosch level weirdness going on. Yeah, it was the one with like the naked lady with the spear coming out of her ass and like the guys on fire in like this like weird little pool and then the one where the guy's being attacked by garden utensils and turning into sand and crumbling down to nothing oh my god the paintings were amazing were you, were those like foreshadowing what was to come because i didn't really notice that there was garden shears in the painting hmm. it's hard to know because there is one that the, the painting where the uh, the man is being attacked by the uh, the garden equipment and is basically being like crumbled into dust like a like an hourglass Literally, the scene before is when Roger gets attacked by the garden equipment that flies off the wall at him. So it's I couldn't tell if the paintings were happening as events were happening or if the aunt painted these as like a foreshadowing, like she knew this stuff would happen. But if she did, there's no way for her to know that if it's Big Ben's plan. Like, how would she know that Big Ben's going to basically use garden equipment to like 
fly at him through the air. Maybe the aunt was painting her nightmares and her nightmares were uh, foreshadowing like a uh, kind of like a, a prophet, you know, she was an Oracle type situation and she was painting what she saw, put him around the house, hoping that Roger would be smart enough to piece it together or, or something like that. But of course he couldn't crack the riddle because John, he uh, John, was caught up with the fish. John, you're doing some, you're doing some heavy lifting there, buddy. I realistically, I you're doing a movie a favor here. <laughs> I realistically, I don't think those paintings had anything to do with the story. The people who made them, the prop people probably just thought they were cool. Uh, Cause this movie does not seem to have the uh, technical acumen to do something that creative. And I say that as someone who likes it. Oh, man. Yeah. So so back to the plot. Yeah. Let's talk about when he receives the house from the maitre d' from the Ghostbusters. $5,000. I had no idea to be so much. I won't pay it. He almost, like John says, shoots him <laughs> with a harpoon gun in the garage. And then just laughs. Well, I mean, to be honest, that's how you show a house. You, you, give, you fire a warning shot, and then you show him the property. What, what's hard to understand about this, you guys? <laughs> so, yeah, he gets the house. We immediately cut to him outside trimming the hedges, and that's not a euphemism. He's actually trimming the hedges. And then he sees a small kid playing in the pool, and he's like, Jimmy? Jimmy? At this point, though, we have no idea who Jimmy is. So when they first start, like, he starts calling for this kid. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Who is that kid? Like, did it come with the house? Like, I don't know. And then he runs over, jumps in the pool, realizes the kid's not there. And then you find out that that's his missing son and that the son went missing at this house. I'm going to really blow your mind, Garrett. That whole scene was a flashback of when his scene, when his kid went uh, missing. They just don't bother to tell you that. It just becomes a flashback like it was a normal everyday situation. He has the same V-neck sweater on, though. And this movie does that over and over again with every flashback scene it has. It just goes into it. There's no, like, dreamy transition, nothing. It's just cut now we're in the flashback no title nothing except at the end of the movie we started getting like star wars like wipes across <laughs> the screen from scene to scene that cracked me up when the movie just made a choice to start using star wars wipes i was like okay why not at this point the dailies probably came out and they're like oh this is confusing we gotta help the we gotta help the audience out throw in some wipes <laughs> but yeah so okay so that was a flashback when his kid first went missing mm-hmm. okay well okay that makes a little more sense the mater d He's like, Roger, are you okay? And it shakes him out of it. Uh, and that's like the only real way you know. It's very confusing. It's not well done, which is why I don't think they're doing fancy background painting things. It's uh, like, uh, they can't even get the basics down. Could you imagine showing a house and just have someone going to a fugue state right in the middle of it? And you're like, and here's the master bat. Oh my God, what's going on with this guy's like, Jimmy, Jimmy. You're just like, oh God, wait, snap out of it. I'll take it. You're just like, what the hell? I got my commission. Now, the next thing he does is meet Howard. So he's moving into the house, you know, as one does. And his neighbor comes over and is like, oh, hey, what's up, neighbor? Uh, you're moving into this house? Uh, that's great because the old person who lived there before was terrible. Just a mean, nasty bitch. She was horrible. Everybody hated her. And Roger's like, oh, that was my aunt. And he's like, lovely lady, though. <laughs> <laughs> and I laugh at that scene. Every time. To George Wentz credit, he acted that so well. Like, he doesn't miss a beat. It's not he's like, he doesn't do a double take of like, oh, he just like, 
he's like, oh yeah, no, everyone hated her, blah, blah, that was my aunt. So anyway, she was a great person, you know, it's like, he just does such an amazing job throughout this entire movie. And then he's like, oh, you're Roger Cobb, the Roger Cobb, oh, I love you. And he pulls out just pages of this guy's book and he wants them to autograph it and they, they're they just loose leaf pages of the book. Uh, do any of you own your favorite author's books in loose leaf form? Okay, <laughs> I do own a few comics that have started to come apart from when I was a kid that I've, I've, I've kept just because they have sentimental value. I imagine in probably maybe five to six years, they will be loose pages <laughs> that I will keep held together with one hand. And if I ever run into Jim Lee, I'm going to be like, my man, I love your buck. And he's like, these are loose pages. I was like, I know. I, I understand. I get it. But that book hasn't been out long enough to actually deteriorate the way it has. So what the hell? How does Harold read Great books? question. I think he knew Roger was moving in. It was all premeditated. He just grabbed what he could, and he's like, I can't fit the whole book in my pocket. Aha! A couple pages will fit, though. <laughs> that explains it. I'll show him a, I'll show him a fan by pieces of his work. <laughs> but then he's like, oh, do you have a pen? He's, and Harold's like, uh, no. It's like, dude, you brought 50 pages of this guy's book, but no pen. Uh, then they just do normal bullshit or whatever. Uh, and then the next scene is where Harold's writing at his, like, OG computer. This thing's uh pretty legit. And the TV starts doing some weird shit. He turns the TV off and then he looks over and his son is just in the window like in ghost form. And he points the remote at his son and turns his son off who then disappears <laughs> like the TV. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like stuff like that. It just seems like he doesn't care about his son's situation anymore. It's all like, oh yeah, look, it's my son. Click off and i'm just like damn <laughs> now i read this on uh, online somewhere so i can't take credit for this but and i don't remember where i read it so i can't credit whoever came up with it so i'm just gonna steal it but people were saying maybe he didn't think this shit was weird because he was going through ptsd so he was used to seeing weird things and that's why he reacts so calmly at first to the oddities that go that are coming into this house uh maybe yeah i can see that Speaking of oddities, he also sees his aunt show up and like she's putting a noose around her neck and he's like, the house got me, Roger. It, I didn't think it would, but it got me. And then she like hangs herself and vanishes. And I thought that was a pretty cool effect. Yeah. And she's like, get out now while you can. And and he's like, wow, this is this is weird. And then I think this is immediately after he goes downstairs and he gets attacked by the big mouth bass. It's not a bass. It's, it's a marlin, dude. Get your fish right. <laughs> It does flop around like a Billy Big Mouth, but no, that he gets attacked by the uh, the garden equipment first. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah, no, but that's that's a good thing. He gets that warning from his aunt, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm staying here." I was like, "Yep, that's the first thing I do is move." At that point, when a ghost tells me to get the fuck out, I'm like, "Well, I had a good run, a day and a half." Yeah, he was probably like, "I wish I brought my remote so I could have turned her off." <laughs> he um. <laughs> he goes downstairs and then like all the garden utensils on the wall in the like the downstairs shed start rattling on the wall and they they jump off the wall and they start flying around and like they shoot right at him and he like outruns them and locks them in a room. Now, I thought okay, they're going to fall to the ground. No, evidently they stay floating in the air ready to go because later on they come back. Um, this is where he goes upstairs to start writing and then the giant marlin um, swordfish on the wall starts like eyeballing him. Like the eye starts moving, like looking at him. And he's kind of like, was that thing looking at me? I don't know. And then it starts flopping against the wall. Like it's a fish out of water, but like stuck on the wall. And then he goes, he gets a shotgun, blows a fucking hole through it. 
and then throws a um, a blanket over its eyes so it can't look at him. And I was like, <laughs> this is fucking weird. And at this point, I was like, okay, he was in Vietnam. Maybe he saw some shit. He's just losing his fucking mind at this point. And, and I'm going to say that the fish part was one of the creepiest parts of the movie because it starts agonizingly squeak after it got shot. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Oh, yeah. Dolphin squeals. And John, you were saying Big Mouth Bass because that's the one that sings that you put on the wall. Is that why you said that? Yes, and it flops exactly like that. This movie probably inspired the guy who invented the Big Mouth Bass. I mean, the, the, it looked, ex- I mean, except for the fact that it's a marlin, as our uh, resident fish expert let me know. Besides that, it acts exactly like a Big Mouth. Our fishologist. <laughs> fishologist, yes. Thank you, Garrett. Uh, it acts exactly like a Big Mouth Bass. <laughs> All right, I came a little hard on you there. Ooh, I, I'm going to rephrase that. That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I came on a little strong there, John. I apologize. I Only after I insulted you for thinking that a marlin was a bass did I realize you probably meant the singing fish, so I retract my insult. Uh, retraction accepted. Ah, peace at last, finally. <laughs> the East and West Coast can finally get along. Um, so he sits back down to start working again, which I'm like, I'm sorry, I leave a house when a giant marlin starts freaking out and I have to blow it away with a shotgun. Is this the part where he goes upstairs and he gets attacked by the monster in the closet? Yeah, that's the next thing that happens. It looks like the giant overlord in the hallway from Hellraiser. Oh. So. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, so great effect, I thought. Awesome, you know, puppetry. Uh, fights it off. And then he orders, like, every single camera device that can happen in the 80s, right? Isn't that the next thing? And he gets it delivered essentially next day somehow. That had to be like 20 grand worth of equipment that he ordered overnight points them all at the closet and sets out like a stakeout for this monster. Yeah, he, he sets them all up in a row, like a firing squad of cameras because he's going to capture what's in this closet. But at this point, let's point out, though, that he switched from his deep V-neck cuts, T-shirts and sweaters, to his full army fatigues with a army helmet at this point. So he is, in, in his mind, he's back in the shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's going to capture what's happening. Oh, and let's point out that it was midnight when that thing came out of the closet the first time. Because he does get everything set up, and then he opens the closet, and there's nothing there. And then it only comes out at midnight, evidently. I think this house needs to reset its witching hour clock, because Harold's just going to appear every night at midnight with pizza and beer. (laughs) Nobody's going to get the scares. You got to go to like three o'clock, house. What are you doing? The house doesn't know about midnight snacks. Uh, so <laughs> didn't plan for that. Yeah. I think um, I think we actually fucked this up. I think he sees the thing in the closet first and then he shoots the fish. But I might be wrong. I don't remember. But like because I know once he shoots the fish, Harold comes over the next day because he heard a gunshot. And he actually calls the cops. Oh, yeah. I think we'll just have to say that the order of the haunts probably don't matter in the grand scheme of things. So if we get it wrong, apologies. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, it matters just a tiny bit in the fact because after he shoots the, the Billy Big Mouth on the wall, Harold comes over because he hears like, he's like, hey, man, are you okay? I heard like, and he's like, hey, man, I got to be alone. Just go away. Harold takes Roger's like phone book and goes and calls his ex-wife. He's like, oh, hey, you know, this is Harold. She's like, I don't know a Harold. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm friends with your 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 husband, Roger. Um, you might want to check on him. He's losing his fucking mind, I think. And she's like, oh, and she seems genuinely concerned. And so she's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I should I should I should look into that. And he's like, okay, I'll look after him in the meantime. Sandy, the ex-wife, shows up at the house the next day. 
And she's like, you know, Roger, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. What are you doing here? And like, she ends up turning into a giant gargoyle bubbly, nasty, hideous monster. And he shoots this monster with a shotgun, the double barrel shotgun, on the porch of his house. Harold from across the streets hears and sees this. And then when he looks down, it's his wife again, not the monster. So we're, we're led to believe that he just shot his wife thinking it was a monster. He drags the wife's dead body inside, throws it under the uh, the stairway, under the stairwell, which has a little like closet, which creeped me the fuck out. That was like some conjuring level shit right there. And then Harold calls the cops and that's when the cops show up. Oh, yeah, I was uh, just polishing it, you know, cleaning it and it went off by accident. I, I didn't know it was loaded. But you do know it's against the law to discharge a firearm within city limits, don't you? I'm going to have to give you a citation. A citation? Thank you. Hey, wait a minute. Uh, I know you, don't I? You're Roger Cobb, right? Yeah, right. Mr. Cobb, I know this is a funny question, but you wouldn't happen to be the same Roger Cobb who wrote Blood Dance, would you? Yeah, that's me. Why didn't you say so earlier? <laughs> just... Mr. Cobb, um, I was wondering if you'd do me a big favor. Oh, sure. I mean, I know you're probably busy and all, but... Uh... No, no, you have a... Could I use your bathroom? No. I mean, uh, yes, you can. He does a not great job of trying to get the cops out of the out of his house because he takes the one cop to the bathroom. and He's like, oh, it's right there. Then he offers the other cop coffee for no reason at all, gets him into the kitchen where he notices there were two shotgun shells just sitting on the floor. Uh, Roger told the cops he was cleaning his gun. Roger's eyeballing these shells on the floor is trying to, like, get them with his foot. And uh, Harold, buddy old Harold, is like... Oh, no worries. I'll get them. And then the cop finally sees them and is like, no, I'll get them. And it's like, oh, I thought you were cleaning your gun. And there's some back and forth about that. It's actually a fairly tense scene. Yeah. And one thing is he's ushering him out of the house. He notices that that little closet door underneath the stairs where he put the wife's dead body is open. So he's like extra like being super squirrely about getting him out of the house because he's like, oh, my God, why is that open? I thought I shot her. He doesn't say that, but that's what he's thinking. And so he ushers the cops out. He realizes that Harold's the one that calls the cops. So he's like, Harold, don't come over anymore. He kind of basically is like, Harold, you're cut off. And then that's when the monster version of the wife pops back up and it's all like, you can't kill me. She sounds like a chipmunk. <laughs> it's it's straight up Alvin and the chipmunks level voice. And then he is tripping over himself and getting flung around by this like monster lady and then she's about to get him, and then he opens the door where the garden utensils were, and then they they fly into the monster, and she's like, ah, that's not going to stop me. And then a pair of hedge clippers goes and cuts her head off, um, clean cut, so the monster head is now laying severed on the ground. He takes that, he goes and buries it in the backyard, then he cuts the body up and buries it in multiple pieces. I mean, he goes through a lot of... The thing is, okay, this is what bothers me. Earlier in the movie, he's trying to get a picture of the fucking monster so he can, like, prove that there's a monster. He's literally got proof right in front of him. Why bury it? Why not just be like, guys, look at this fucking crazy-ass monster? I assume it's because he doesn't want to go to jail for shooting his wife, because... But he didn't. It's a monster. His wife... The monster turned back into his regular wife, so I don't think he knows right now... if it's what he's seeing is real or some sort of uh, delusion or what's going on. So maybe he's just playing it safe. Yeah, that's possible. But man, it just 
it made no sense because later on a dog digs up the severed hand of um, the monster lady and it's full on monster hand. It's not like a regular lady hand. So at this point, it's always a monster from the moment like it does the switcheroo back at the beginning. So I don't know. It just seemed kind of like, wait, why is he doing this? He's got evidence right in front of him. But he goes in his backyard to dig the hole and he's got the big trash bag full of body. And that's when he sees Tanya, his neighbor, his hot blonde neighbor swimming in his pool. And she's like, oh, I just come over to use your pool. And it's like, to your point, John, does everyone just creep on people's property and use their stuff? It was so weird. She's like, oh, I had a, a agreement with your aunt that I could just use the pool when it was hot. And uh, apparently I just continued that agreement, even though she's dead and I've never met you before in my life. That does not seem like a, what a reasonable person would do. No, absolutely not. You would at least introduce yourself to the new owners and be like, hey, by the way, uh, they used to let me use the pool. Is it cool if I continue to do so? But this woman, Tanya, is severely, I don't know if it's because she's uh, like, she kind of seems like maybe she's from Europe or something, but she does not have etiquette down, which we'll (laughs) find out later. And she is one of the most baffling characters in this whole thing to me. Look, I know it's hot out there, but let's be honest. Tanya's thirsty. Okay. (laughs) She comes on Roger hard like she's all like oh i know when a man needs to work because he's got a shovel in this this dead body which she doesn't think anything of this giant trash bag full of something he's about to bury in the yard um she's like i know when a man has to work and i also know when a man has to play and it's like what the fuck and he's like yeah yeah come over whenever you want like he's just like drinking this up and i'm like dude yeah slow down man like you may have just committed murder maybe don't worry about getting your dick wet right now (laughs) i don't think tanya's thirsty i think she just knows how to play him like a fiddle because she acts like she you know is dtf but as we see in the very next scene she's just playing him so that he could watch her son she's like oh and I know when a man likes to play. You know who likes to play? Little Billy here, my son. <laughs> yeah. Robert, actually. But yeah, no. So he bur- he buries the body parts. He cuts the, the body up and buries them. And then he gets back inside and he's like, whew, done with that. Ding dong. And as you said. Well, just uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt real quick. Before we leave this scene, when he's having this conversation with Tanya, he's looking down and stomping on the hand, like in clear view of this woman, like she could just look down and see what's happening. But for whatever reason, her neck don't work and she can only <laughs> stare at his pretty blue eyes. It's like, lady, do you see that this damaged Vietnam vet is doing something really strange in front of you? Like thirsty or not? I, I mean, why would you go after him if, if it's what Garrett is saying and she wants to play like Oh, did she just look like damaged individuals, I guess? I, I don't have the answers to that, but it, it definitely was a, a moment of convenience because, yeah, he's and it's not like he's like just kind of kicking it with his foot. He's full on stomping on the ground as if he's trying to like smash a coconut. And um, he's just like and she's like not worried about whatever you're doing down there because I'm worried about what's going on up here. But yeah, so we we immediately smash cut to him being inside, being like, "Woo, that's all done." The doorbell rings. He opens it. It's Tanya dressed to the nines, and she just walks in with her kid. And she's like, "Oh, hey, Roger, I knew you were special, and you're so nice, which is why you're going to make a great babysitter." Literally hands this dude her kid, whose name is Robert, and he has the biggest ears. He looks like a Ferengi from Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Like nothing against that kid, but like that's kind of they're like they're sticking way out. Um, She hands him. She's like, I'll be back in a little bit. Thank you. I knew I could trust you. I was like, holy shit. What is going on? He's already lost one kid. 
<laughs> you know, which she yeah. doesn't know. But it's got a bad track record. <laughs> Look, she there's no way she could not have seen the police were just at this man's house not one day ago, that not one hour ago, that very same day that she is handing over her child to a stranger. The police were just at his house. Well, to Mark's point, she had maybe three minutes, not even three minutes, maybe a minute and a half of interaction with this gentleman before she just said, that's a babysitter. Yeah. And I was like, you are a negligent parent. You are dangerous. Dude, she is she is four hours away from just having Roger adopt the kid and be the permanent dad so she can move <laughs> away. Pretty much is what it seems like. Because not only does she want him to wash it, she also expects him to bathe the Robert. He's like, here's his favorite bath toys. And I got to tell you, never in a million years would I bathe someone's child. A stranger. Yeah, a stranger's child. Exactly. Who, like, I just met a couple hours ago. It's just 0% chance going to happen. But Roger's a different man than me, I guess. You're the parent. You take care of all that shit separately. (laughs) Yeah. It seems way far over any kind of reasonable line. But then again, I was like, is this just how things were in the 80s? Like, where people just bathing each other's children no (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's i don't know that was so weird i would have been about robert's age and uh no strangers bathe me i can uh, attest to that good to know (laughs) so right before uh tanya shows up with uh robert the hand is dug up by a dog the hand of dead demon sandy she devil lady as soon as Robert walks through the door, that hand is attached to that kid's back. And then Roger goes into full blown, nothing to see here. Uh, I'm going to be in creepy and weird with your kid, Tanya. And he's just like chases him into the bathroom and locks the door. The whole while Tanya's like, okay, this is fine. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, he, he, he runs with the kid, chases him in the bathroom, locks the door and the kid starts crying. And she's like, Robert, is everything okay? You know, like Roger, is everything all right? And um, he's like, yeah, no problem. The kid is full-blown crying. He comes out of the bathroom with Robert after pulling the hand and flushing it down the toilet. And she's like, is everything okay? And he's like, oh yeah, no, everything's cool. Like he just absconded with your child into a bathroom, which is now, the kid's now crying. That's a red flag. Even if it's all innocent, that's still a red fucking flag. Don't leave your kid alone with this person because you don't know them. And... She just immediately is like, thanks, I'll be back in a little while. And she just goes, well, she plants a big old lip to lip kiss on him in front of her kid, like inches away. (laughs) And then she just leaves. And I was like, what the fuck is going on with this movie at this point? Okay, now I'm going to pick up on a thread that Mark laid down. Maybe this the house is having some sort of dumbening effect on people. I mean, maybe. That's the hand cannon required to follow this logic at this point. It's It's the only way. Because otherwise, someone should be calling CPS on this lady years ago because <laughs> she is not fit to be a parent. Because uh, when they go, he when they come out of the bathroom, Roger's just like, oh, he just had to go to the bathroom. And the kid's like crying. And it's like, lady, does your kid always weep when he has to go to the bathroom? What is happening? How are you so dumb? Maybe maybe that's not her kid. Maybe, oh, she, maybe that's not her kid. Oh, God. <laughs> A Stranger's uh, Bath, a memoir by Robert. God, no. Jeez. What if she was actually babysitting this kid for somebody else? And they abandoned it with her, and she's trying to pawn it off on someone else? Oh, my God. Yeah. This poor kid's just going to get passed around a babysitter to babysitter until he finds a full It's like home. a game of hot potato. <laughs> 
Oh, it's like that uh, that meme where uh, from The Simpsons where it's like I'm in danger. <laughs> so anyway, um, well, he he starts watching TV and lays him down to sleep in a chair. And then the boy goes missing and gets kidnapped by the strange chimney people. Oh, yeah. The like little uh, like munchkin monster kids. Yeah. The two monsters are like in the, the, the chimney trying to pull Robert up the chimney and they, they pull him up a little bit of the ways. Roger runs underneath, grabs his legs. So it's like a tug of war with Robert between the, the demon kids and Roger. And eventually, as Tanya comes back to the house, it's like, hello, I'm here. Like the monster kids let go. And then he takes Robert, who... Which is weird because when Robert gets drugged in that bathroom, he's crying like crazy. He's getting attacked by like monster kids being pulled up a chimney and being almost pulled in half. He's just smiling away. He's loving every moment of this. Um, But yeah, he takes the kid back downstairs and she's like, oh, thank you so much. That's it. That's the last we see of Robert and Tanya. Yep. They're out of the movie. (laughs) Yep. Their story's over. But you know who's back? Harold's back with the champagne of beers. The Milwaukee's best. And he's like, hey, you know what? That monster in the closet, it's actually a giant raccoon. Let's go check it out, Harold. Oh, I love this scene. Yeah, he actually invites Harold over because, remember, Harold been banned. So he actually is like, thanks for inviting me back over, Roger. And he's like, yeah, no problem. He gives Harold the harpoon gun. And he's like, you know what that is? Have you ever seen one of these? And he's like, yeah, sure, every day. What is it? And I also laugh. Every time Harold's on scene, I I laugh. John, let me tell you about a little show called Cheers you may want to look into. George (laughs) Went is a star of that. If you love him so much, you can get hundreds of episodes of him doing his thing in a bar. Maybe I love him, though, because I see him in these small doses. I don't know if I love hundreds of episodes of him. (laughs) So, yeah, at this point, he's convinced Harold. He's like, okay, I'm going to open this door at midnight and this monster is going to come out. And he doesn't like, oh, he says this thing. And he's like, what do you mean this thing? And like, this is something that happens in horror movies that drive me nuts. And we talked about this last night as we were watching it. Like, he was in Vietnam. He's seen some shit, I'm sure. Like, he's also a writer. He has a way with words. Yet when Harold says, what is it? He's like, uh, it's a thing. I, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's this thing. And it's like, dude, you could describe this. It's a monster. It's a giant flesh creature. It's got huge talons. It's got this. I mean, like anything other than uh, it's a thing, which prepares Harold for nothing. But that's one thing that happens in movies all the time where I was like, what'd you see? And they're just like, I, I don't know. I saw something. And it's like, just fucking describe what you saw even if it doesn't make sense describe what you saw dude so they they open the door and the monster comes out and attacks roger harold is supposed to shoot it with the harpoon gun he sh- he shoots and misses uh, roger and all of his brilliance tells him shoot again knowing full well a harpoon gun has one shot does he miss i thought he hit it in like the arm the monster gets hit and then he's like, shoot it again. He's like, with what? I don't, I only have the one. <laughs> and then the monster starts dragging Roger away. And then the monster gets like kicked back into this like void pit that's inside the closet. And that's when Roger gets his foot wrapped in the 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 rope of the uh, harpoon and gets drugged down into the thing as well, which is also attached to a fishing pole. Yeah, I didn't understand that at all. Well, he's he's drugged back into Vietnam, and we get a flashback, and we see Ben die. You know, okay, so the whole let's let's talk about the Vietnam stuff and get this out of the way. Uh, we touched on a little bit, but Ben is basically an asshole. He's not a team player. He's a he's just like out to have fun, and he wants to go shoot up the Viet Cong. He doesn't really care what his uh, superiors have to say. 
Um, so ultimately, Ben gets killed because of his negligence, and it's all his fault. But as he's dying on his deathbed, if you will, he curses Roger for not putting him out, out of his misery as he's taken away by the Viet Cong. And it's like, dude, why would you blame your buddy for this? This is all your fault. Well, because he wants him to kill him. Like, even though it's his fault, he's like, yo, kill me so they don't torture me for whatever. And Harold, uh, Roger just can't do it. Roger just doesn't, he can't muster the courage to do it. He's like, I'm gonna go get help. And then you see um, Big Ben get drug off by, by the Vietnamese army. It's just, it's so weird. You're right. It is his fault for getting captured and being so cavalier about this. But don't let them torture me. Just kill me now. Roger, he just can't do it. So that's where his whole like vengeance plot, revenge plot comes in. Not vengeance, but revenge plot comes in. Yeah, but to to curse your friend from beyond the grave and then to come back and try to kill him is just like, dude, come on, really? That's a little weak. Well, not only that, like he gets pulled into this giant black abyss through the closet and then uh, George Went has it on the, the fishing pole and he's like, like, I guess I'm supposed to try to reel him back in and then the line runs out. We then in Vietnam, in the Vietnam flashback set, we see his child, his son, trapped in a small bamboo cage and he's like dad and he's like son you know like jimmy he's like he's gonna come back and kill us at this point if you've been paying attention you get the inclination that like oh they might be referring to ben yeah this scene is like rambo only dumb yeah he makes it out and then harold apparently got drunk and slept in that room next to the closet and he's like oh roger you're back you're okay he's like yeah yeah go home and then um he starts pacing around his house he starts hearing jimmy's voice jimmy is their missing kid um and he's like oh and he goes to the bathroom and that's where he shatters the mirror in his bathroom and it opens another portal and he gets attacked by like five or six different monster hands from party hardy or party city whatever you know just random monster hands and then he falls through it after making a rope of some kind maybe out of the 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 curtains and he's climbing down, and that's when we get that stop-motion skeleton dragon creature that shoots him, and he falls into the water, or shoots the rope, and he falls into the water. That part, though, when the the winged skull dragon grabs the shotgun from him as he's dangling from a rope, and then does a loop in the air, and then turns around and shoots the rope that he's on, I was like, I don't know about this. <laughs> like, that was so goofy. <laughs> I was like, oh boy, I might be... He was a crack shot, dude. I might be checked out at this point. He pulls the son out of the bamboo cage. They get chased away as gunfire is shooting at them from someone in the shadows. They jump into the water. They swim deep into it, and they they come up out of the water, and they're in the pool in the backyard. So I guess the pool is a portal to the dark void. This is where we find out that Big Ben is responsible for all this, and he's been fucking with Roger from beyond the grave and kidnapped his son at this house and is trying to kill him. Right. And and I think we did touch on this earlier is this movie is confusing into the point was, is this a ghost haunting by Ben or is it the house maybe has created Ben? You know what I mean? Like, which is it? Or is it both? Is it somehow both supernatural things happening at the same time? Yeah, John, which is it? Great question. Now, as a supernatural expert, um, here's what I can tell you. There's some supernaturalness going on in this uh, movie. Okay. And the thing about that is it's very unclear. Uh, I don't know. I, I think the house maybe 
is the the gateway, right? It's a conduit that enabled Big Ben to put his plan into action. Big Ben is who's haunting Roger, but he's only able to do it because this house exists. So you're saying if it was a different person other than Roger, say it was like Miguel, and he had a history with, you know, knocking someone over so he didn't win like the 1981 Olympics, you know, like the ghost of that athlete could have attacked Miguel via the house. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. So like it's uh, the house conjures up whatever uh, most impacts you. That's my theory. Interesting. But that being said, like when Ben comes back and, and he's chasing him around the house, he says something to the effect of, I've been waiting to do this for over 10 years, Roger, or something like that. Like he's just been laying in wait mm-hmm. until the right portal came along where he could pop out and fuck with Roger. Yes. Like maybe he's been dead. This is sloppy is what I'm saying. Yes. I will agree with that. Where It's going to require a little bit of head cannoning, right? Where he has been dead, but then this house like maybe reached out to his spirit form and was like, all right, we're laying a foundation for revenge. Here's how we're going to do it. It's going to be unnecessarily complex. And we're going to start by kidnapping his son. And that put all the wheels in motion for uh, the uh, end result, which is that Ben could kill Roger, except we come to find out he can't. He needs Roger to kill himself. Wait, wait, really? Yeah. Yes. Ben, at, so at the end of the scene, they have their bit, you know, Ben gets Jimmy, he's holding him, he's like, I'm going to kill him, and Roger's like, no, you're not doing shit, and he's like, you can't hurt me, I'm not scared of you anymore, and you have no powers here, uh, so he just walks over, right, he takes his kid, he takes the knife, and Ben's like, oh, I'm going to get you for this, I'm going to fuck you up, I'm going to kill you, and Roger's like, yep, yep, you know, keep yipping away, takes his grenade, shoves the grenade in his uh, chest cavity, and then runs away. Boom, goes Roger, or not Roger, boom, goes Ben. Uh, Ben's dead, movie ends, essentially. Uh, well, And all that happened because Roger learned that it was his own fear that was giving Ben the power to attack him, giving these monsters the power. And as soon as he stopped being afraid, they were powerless. But then why did he need to wait 10 years for this opportunity if he was like, at any point, he was using his fear? Because Roger always had the fear. The fear is what enabled Ben to hurt him, not enabled him to attack Ben. He Roger had to wait until the house allowed him in. Oh, okay. Um, now, the house is playing on its own rules and timeline that we don't even know about. It's doing its own... It's got its own reasons uh, for doing what it does that the movie doesn't touch on. Also, I could just be making all of this up, except for the end, which is very clear. It was fear that powered Ben, and as soon as Roger stopped fearing him, Ben became powerless. I definitely think you're wrong about that, except for the fact that the fear thing is correct. Yeah, because Ben goes to slash at Roger's hand, and it goes right through his hand, and he's like, wait a minute, like, you can't hurt me. And that's when, like, the tables flip, and, like, the power's been, you know... You know, like, oh, man, you can't hurt me if I'm not afraid of you. And yeah, he does. The grenade gets and that whole top story like blows up and gets caught on fire. And then the the ex-wife pulls up exactly at this moment in front of the house, gets out of a cab as Roger walks out with Jimmy, his son. And she's like, Jimmy. And she's like, Mama. And then like they run and embrace. And then we cut back to this kind of like Mentos freeze frame of Roger's face (laughs) and then we cut to credits like that's it 
that whole fucking third act is just bananas pacing and like insane continuity. I don't even know. Like, honestly, I, I think it kind of cheapened. Honestly, the end kind of cheapened the whole movie for me. It was a weak ass ending. I can't stand that whole like, oh, now you can't hurt me because I'm not afraid trope. We've done that. Don't need it. Yeah, it's fair, but I think, you know, I, I liked the ending, except uh, I don't think the people who wrote it had a very clear understanding of how grenades work. <laughs> they are not TNT. Uh, it did, like Garrett said, it blew up the whole second floor of that house, which is not at all what would happen. Um, but if you get over that, the rest of it, uh, I didn't mind, except for, yeah, the ending with the wife pulling up and not being like, what the fuck's going on here? But basically, all that was missing is them jumping into the air together. <laughs> yeah, freeze framing in the air like, we did it! Yeah. <laughs> you know, speaking of artillery, uh, Ben, Ghost, Ghosty Ben came back with a machine gun that ran out of ammo. And I was like, why didn't he just get one of them ghost guns from Frighteners? Why does he have oh. this garbage human gun in the ghost realm? I love Ben's line because he's like, he's like, I come back from the dead and then I run out of ammo damn it <laughs> just like <laughs> you had 10 years bro did you not plan this out so i guess we're left with is the house a portal to spirituality or is the house itself evil right and i would like to believe the house is evil to me that's more interesting well there's a sequel house two i mean how does that correlate to this one not at all yeah house two is what happens if you when you have a successful movie and a different script and just put the name of the good movie on a different script because it is a totally different movie different characters different house different everything okay i i remember the characters i remember like the little worm thing the old cowboy guy which is his grandfather norm's norm's friend uh cliff from Cheers is now the the maintenance guy in part two who ends up coming to help uh, the main character and they find like a portal with a crystal skull that glows underneath the house in the wall and there's like this evil it's an evil uh, mm-hmm. cowboy that looks like Jack Palance like a zombie version comes to take the skull because he needs it to to rule I don't know I don't remember all that shit but I couldn't remember if the house was the same or not. No, completely different house with some sort of like uh, Egyptian rune type stuff all over it. It doesn't look like a house at all. It looks more like a tomb. Yeah. So then I guess that kind of backs up John's point that the houses are kind of independent of who uses them for their nefarious plans. Yeah. And then there's house three, which is about a guy who can't get electrocuted because he uh, built up a resistance to the electric chair. By being electrocuted over and over again. That's pretty much the premise of that crazy ass movie. Uh, And I never saw House 4. I couldn't make it through House 3. So I didn't subject myself to House 4. But I do know Roger comes back. Oh really? They bring him back? Yeah. Interesting. Does he have a deep V? I don't know. I never saw it. I'm looking at it through Wikipedia. And just the synopsis on Wikipedia is boring. So I know the movie's terrible. It doesn't sound like it has anything to do with the first house. Wow. Well, that's House. Um, honestly, I wouldn't really recommend it unless you find it for free, which it is currently on Amazon Prime along with House 2. I don't know, about three or four. It's, man, it's it's problem for me is like we touched on at the beginning. It's just the pacing. Like the slow parts are really slow and really tough to get through. I had to finish this movie in three piece chunks because I kept getting so bored. I had to go take a break, stretch my legs. I think... Uh 
listeners probably know where I stand. I do recommend this movie. I liked it. I don't think the pacing was quite as bad as Mark does. I mean, I agree there are some pacing issues for sure. Basically, anything to do with the Vietnam story, uh, all of those could have safely been cut. But I think the good parts make up for it more than enough. I think it's a great horror comedy. I really, I actually laugh while watching it, so I'd recommend it. I will say that there are some good laughs in this movie. And if you're a fan of like just bizarrely cheesy movies where you're just like, like, how the hell? Like, you know, it's just like, like Night of the, Night, not Night of the Creeps, but uh, Night of the Demons level like insanity. You're like, okay, I guess we're just doing this. Um, it's not quite as like blatant as Night of, uh, Night of the Demons, but it does have some great funny moments. Some of the characters are really enjoyable. The practical costumes are very cool. The plot, though, is just tough to get through because it just, again, it feels like five different pieces of a story like jammed into one. And now knowing that maybe it was going to be an anthology of some kind definitely kind of helps make that make sense. But I, it's hard to recommend it. I would say if you're into light horror, if you're like not looking for really scares, but you're just looking for like kind of fun Monster Squad level stuff, how should be on that list. If you're looking for more like intense like slasher or, you know, really scary like movies, this is not going to be up your alley. That makes sense. Well, John, it's your last opportunity to lavish this movie with your praises. Do you have anything else you want to Lay at the altar of house before we wrap up. Here's what here's what I'll say. If you don't like house, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, n- no, I've said my piece. It, I think by the end of this episode, I think you'd know if you'd like house or not, but uh, I'm sticking by my recommendation. I, I would say this. If you're going to watch it, watch it with a... F- what, which is going to be really difficult to do right now, but watch it with a group of friends. It is a lot better when you can basically kind of look at each other and be like, what the fuck was that? Like, you know, like kind of enjoy the the insanity of it with someone else. If you're watching it by yourself, I think you're going to lose... Like, you'll laugh at a few moments, but you'll lose some of the like... Yo, did y'all see that? He just set that Swanson there for 30 minutes. Like, if if that hadn't been pointed out to me, I would have just completely glazed over that. But once it was pointed out, I laughed my ass off. <laughs> it was so great. Well, listeners, have you seen House? What did you think of it? Why don't you let us know on our social media page? We got a Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram post. And as always, you can find our content at www.thegravetalk.com. Drop us a line. Do you have any ideas for cold opens? We're always happy to hear from you guys. Okay, well, until next time, we'll see you then. 